Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossat, managing editor, Fightful Wrestling. Or actually FightfulMMA.com. My God. <laughs> There's so much going on right now. So, so much happening. And that's going on in the MMA world as well. We've got ESPN on U- or UFC on ESPN. I'm getting everything backwards. Joe, do you want to take it away? What's happening right now? I have no idea what you're doing. I, I'm out of it, man. There is a lot going on in the wrestling world. There is about to be a lot going on in the MMA world. But we do have the UFC's debut on ESPN kicking off. This week, we've got Dillashaw and Cejudo. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of James James Lynch's interviews. He's getting pro wrestling scoops even. It's miraculous. James, how you doing? I'm doing awesome, Sean. Good to be here. Uh, finally, good to talk about some uh, UFC card this weekend. The break was nice. Don't get me wrong, but I'm glad to be uh, looking, you know, watching this card on Saturday. Well, Joe, that break is over. Yeah. Because as I look at the schedule through June, from from me, my perspective... That those two weekends that we have off right now, WrestleMania weekend, and the first event of a major new company from Jacksonville Jaguars owner Tony Khan, who is throwing hundreds of millions of dollars supposedly into pro wrestling. Other than that, every single weekend has a UFC show through June. Through June. Now we we questioned will will the UFC kind of tame their schedule. Based on their first quarter that they released, it didn't seem so. Based on their first and second quarter that they've released, Joe, doesn't seem the same. What more can we say that we haven't said in the past? I I think it's too much. I'm not going to lie to you. I know they got this new deal now and with with ESPN kicking off and, you know, content is king. James knows that when it comes to the television world, content is king. But um, in terms of content, what about, you know, years and years now, but it's been about, what, seven years now that people have been talking about watered down content i hear it all the time i mean i'm taking my son skating with half his soccer team in, in a local town here and people recognize me when i'm on the ice and right away they start talking about ufc stuff and you know i stopped watching it way back when it's just too much i don't know who anybody is anymore and you know i don't blame them it's it's a lot of a lot of events a lot of fighters 
very difficult to keep track of. But for the UFC guys, if it's making money and it's making money and it's making their their content providers happy, they're just going to keep doing it. Yeah, and and a thing that's always pointed out is the UFC basically throws up two or three shows in one. They get content for ESPN+, ESPN, for themselves, for pay-per-view, all that. James, what kind of impact do you think that this situation with ESPN is going to have on UFC Fight Pass? Because I know that if I didn't cover it, there's I wouldn't keep it for pay-per-view prelims, and that's it. Yeah, it, I mean, I think the, the obvious thing is that there's going to be no events on Fight Pass anymore. They're going to want people to get the ESPN Plus app. Uh, they just have it because they can't get rid of it. I think they, the idea initially was they were going to use it as sort of, a, you know, what the WWE was doing with the WWE Network. But now they're just like, you know what, it's too much work. We're just going to have someone else to, to handle our content with ESPN Plus. So I, I think, um, you know, it's going to be a tough sell for fans. I mean, like like you said, I have to use it for work. Um, there is some content on there I like. I mean, as a Canadian, getting to watch TKO Live is, is great. Titan FC, obviously, got to give a plug for, for Joe there, uh, you know, getting to watch that. But, uh, you know, there is some good content in there. But, um, you know, in general, uh, yeah, it is a tough sell to the casual fan. I think it's definitely for hardcore fans. And to be honest, you know, if I have friends over or something and there's nothing on TV, I'll throw a fight pass on. They have some decent original programming, but they, they need to get the live content on there, the UFC content, more events. That would be great. But um, yeah, I think it'll still stick around. They, you know, the fact that they renewed all these deals tells me that it's not it's not dead. They're going to keep it going. Their documentary series has been kind of fun. I've really liked that on Fight Pass. How they've they've had those. But Joe, I think they do need something. Uh, no disrespect to what's on there because they have a ton of great MMA and grappling content and striking content on there. I think they could stand to use something with current UFC talent, whether it be like grappling competitions among within UFC fighters or whatever it may be, what would you suggest? Because right now, it, UFC Fight Pass is a distribution outlet for non-UFC companies. Yeah, the content that UFC Fight Pass has is fantastic. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I, th- I think we're still migrating from a generation uh, of people used to just simply sitting back and watching television and almost being told what to watch as opposed to realizing that you can watch whatever you want, and if if you are the slightest mixed martial arts fan, not even a UFC fan, but an MMA fan in general, UFC Fight Pass is ridiculous. It's amazing. It's got stuff on there that even I would love to sit back and watch. It's just that you know, after doing this job for twenty years, sometimes your brain wants to shift away from just MMA and UFC and, and focus on other stuff. But if you're a new fan, you just got to subscribe to UFC Fight Pass. And my goodness, the documentaries, the features, the other events. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. But in signing a deal with another provider that mainly, not mainly, but has a lot of content that is going to be app-driven makes things very difficult, makes things very difficult for what you have now created, what you've procured in terms of content. But the UFC legitimately can do all of this stuff on their own. It's just that the reach that ESPN has and the brand that ESPN and or Fox has is going to drive more traffic in terms of viewership. But the UFC, can, if they could figure out a way to do it all themselves, they would never use ESPN or Fox. Let's just be honest for a second. Well, let's get into some of the news this week. Stipe Miocic is trying to gain a championship fight ahead of, uh, ahead of Daniel Cormier's retirement. Now, from a personal perspective, I'm thinking, man, if you would have just fought once, just once in this period that you haven't been champion, that would help. On the other hand, James... He is the most successful on paper heavyweight champion of all time. I can see that. But that doesn't always, to me, 
scream, yeah, you, you deserve a rematch. You deserve a rematch. He got finished. That was that. It was decisive. Where do you stand on this? Well, it, we found out yesterday that they tried to do Stipe Miocic against Derek Lewis for this Brooklyn card. Uh, Lewis basically said, hey, guys, let's put the brakes on me fighting again. I just fought in November. I fought you know, in July. So he needed the time off. So it looks like they did try and make that fight. Now, I don't know. Now, Lewis was you know, flat out said, I, I turned down the fight. So it sounded like they tried to do that fight. But I'm with you. I don't like rematches where, and, and let's forget about the history of, of Stipe because obviously that's well documented what he's accomplished. I mean, if you want to tell me he's the best UFC heavyweight of all time, I, I have no argument with that. But I don't, I'm with you. I don't like rematches matches where the champion gets knocked out in the first round and then they automatically get a rematch. I think it sets a bad precedent and I also think it can ruin the path of some fighters. Like look at Joanna right now. She's kind of screwed at strawweight until Rose loses the title because she had an immediate rematch. Cody Garbrandt, same thing at Bantamweight, you know, had a rematch right after getting knocked out. Romero. So, yeah, Romero, exactly. So you have to play your cards right with this. I think at the time, though, Stipe did have a good uh, good sort of argument in that regard because of the fact that it didn't seem like, other than Brock, like Stipe clearly, like there wasn't, you know, they had Curtis Blades and Volkov, but then they decided to, you know, those neither of those guys really, um, you know, I guess, I guess screamed title shot. I mean, they, they had definitely earned their way, but they, you know, and then, of course, both of them end up losing. So I think for Stipe, he just played his hand where he's like, you know what, I'm going to wait this out. I bet Brock doesn't come back. I bet I could probably get my rematch anyways, just because there's not no one that stands out. But obviously that didn't, you know, it hasn't worked out because DC hasn't taken a fight with him. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know if that Brock Lesnar fight's going to happen. It looks like it isn't at this point. I mean, not this year anyways. Um, so yeah, I think, I think he just, he tried to play his cards and it didn't work out, but I would like to know more about that Brooklyn fight that was supposed to happen. Cause again, Derek Lewis revealed that yesterday. While I would appreciate a Derek Lewis and Stipe Miocic fight, if you put him against anybody and Miocic would win, I would be like, okay. Let's get you back in the title talk now. It's just a matter of activity. Just just him doing it, I think, would, would go so so far in my eyes. And it, it hasn't been that long since he's been out of the cage. It was like, what, June or July when that fight happened? It was July, feel, I was there. It yeah. feels like it was February or March, but it wasn't. He actually fought twice in 2018. But you, you even have a reemerging Junior Dos Santos. What kind of noise is he going to make? And that's somebody that... Daniel Cormier hasn't fought, even though he's already scheduled. How how do you stand on this, Joe? And then we'll get into more about Daniel Cormier. In terms of Stipe wanting that rematch? Yes. Yeah, he's got to fight. He's got to fight, man. It's just, you know, and, and going back to what James said, you know, the rematch scenarios, I, I'm okay with some of them. If it's a controversial situation. I know it was the rematch when um, – Oh my God, the Lioness took on uh, Valentina Shevchenko. And that was a close second fight. That rematch was a second fight. But I believe Shevchenko won. They got to do another one, right? But Steve, your connection's connection's going out a little bit. Your your connection's going out a little bit, Joe. Um, James, Daniel Cormier has said that he wants to retire by March. It is the mid mid of January right now. No fight announced. No clear cut fight out there. We don't know about Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's wrestling a, a WWE match in a week and a half, two weeks, whatever it may be. He hasn't I mean, his suspension's up as soon as he pays the fine. But no word on on a potential matchup. Surely Daniel Cormier is not just going to retire without another another fight, right? 
He might not. His buddy Kane Velasquez is coming back. You know, I'm sure he wants to make a run. Everything I'm hearing. I, I mean, uh, if you guys want to check out our interview with Duran Wynn yesterday, Duran talks about Kane and says he looks great. And, you know, I mean, I know he's his teammate. He'll be a little bit biased, but you know, nonetheless, if Kane can come back and get a big win over Naganu, then it's it's his time to to take to reclaim the heavyweight division. So I think it's possible we could see DC, uh, you know, hang him up. Um, I thought they would hold off on announcing Jones's next opponent just as a chip there in case they wanted to do the trilogy. But DC says he doesn't want to fight past forty or once he hits forty, he hits forty on March twentieth. Time's running out, so it, it better be a steep A fight, or it's or I think we could see Daniel Cormier just hang him up. And you know, realistically, he could leave and still be one of the greatest ever. I don't, I don't think it, it matters. Yeah, you're gonna have that Jones stuff, but I think if he wants to leave, everything he's accomplished, why not? Joe, is this a, a negotiating ploy from Cormier? What we're seeing here because Dana White very, very clearly wants him to fight several times. He says three times. Dana White's very specific. I want him to fight three more times. And if I'm Dana White, I probably do too. I want him to fight until he physically can't anymore because of the value that Daniel Cormier brings. Whether or not he sells a lot of pay-per-views, when you put a headline out, a lot of people know Daniel Cormier's name for better or for worse because of the Jones situation. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a negotiating ploy, right? And you no, know, you're right. I don't blame Dana. I want to see him compete all the time. He's he's a he's got that personality, he's got that character. You know, it was difficult for him to go from that, you know, unwilling heel role to finally being beloved. And when he took out Stipe Miocic, he became beloved. And with these people that are so anti John Jones and you know, that one guy that people want him to fight Daniel Cormier, despite Daniel losing to him twice, you know, DC brings this aura to 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 MMA that people are beginning to love. And a lot of people have now turned and, you know, look at him as the hero, look at him as the face. So to me, yeah, you want him to compete more if you're Dana White. And if you're DC, you're thinking to yourself, ah, you want me to compete more? Well, I don't want to. I'm looking for a big payday and I'm getting older and I've been, you know, wrestling my whole life and my body's taken all kinds of just crazy punishment. And now I'm doing MMA and, you know, this MMA training stuff, you know, I got kids, married, this, this, and that. So it goes on. It's it's two different sides looking at a scenario. But if I'm DC, yeah, it's a negotiation play for sure. Tyron Woodley has teased a move to middleweight this year. James, what, what do you think there is to that? How do you think he would do at middleweight? And uh, do you think it'll actually happen? I think it will actually happen uh, because his buddy Ben Askren is now in the UFC. I think there that that was inevitable. I think that, that either Woodley was going to go to middleweight or that he was going to leave and go to Bellator. I you know I sort of said that once Askren got signed because they're not going to fight each other. And I think Ben. You know, I granted Ben has to get past Robbie Lawler. We'll see if he ever even gets to a title shot. But I think in general, um, you know, Woodley, you know, he's done a lot in welterweight already. Sure, there's guys, you know, coming up and, and want to get fights, but he's done well. And I mean, you know, I think uh, I think if he wants to go up there, it's tougher to cut weight as you get older. Um, I don't have an issue with it. Um, you know, I, I, how would he do at middleweight? I think he'd do quite well. He's got a good base with wrestling. He's obviously got knockout power. Um, I, I'd be curious to see how he did at middleweight because that's a new division in some ways because we're seeing sort of a transition of, you know, the older guys sort of leaving or guys moving up like Rockhold. And I, I think we'll see Weidman follow suit with that moving up a weight class as well. Um, you know, I think that there's a, you know, I, I think I think he'd fit in quite well if, if he did decide to move up. And uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see how that panned out. Joe, any potential move to middleweight would be a 37-year-old Tyron Woodley who is still obviously got it based on the fact he beat Darren Teal, who is a middleweight, more or less. I mean, that guy should be a middleweight. He's he's beaten guys like that before. Kelvin Gastelum, he's got a split decision win over him. Kelvin Gastelum literally weighed. He was a middleweight in that fight. He was 180 pounds. What do you think this would, would be like for him at this stage of his career? No problemo. 
in my opinion, no problemo for him whatsoever. Uh, I think it'd be actually something to consider. I mean, he's got other business to take care of first, but why not? I mean, as as guys get and girls get older, moving up is probably the right thing to do. Uh, and you know, it'll be it'd be great if Andy Foster can get that whole um, you know water baseline testing done for all the fighters so that they are already competing in the division that they belong in. But even if you're doing those tests, you'll also get updates in terms of okay, you know what? You've been competing at welterweight for a long time because your body allows it. Now you're getting older. Your body's telling you you need to go to 185 pounds, right? So I got no problem with it whatsoever. I'd love to see him do it. And, you know, based on, you know, and, and Sean will be the first one to say, you're never fighting. You're not fighting enough. Well, <laughs> when you're not fighting enough, you're not taking that damage in the cage. You may be taking it a bit in training or a lot in training, but maybe not as much. So if you can keep that MMA mileage low on the body, uh, as you get older, weight cutting starts, you know, sucking even more than what it did when you were younger. Move up. James, you spoke to a guy who's very familiar with Woodley and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He seemed downright offended that Anthony Pettis thought about calling him out, which I thought it was good. He's like, man, why are you calling me out? Why are you calling me out? Uh, I would be interested in a move to welterweight for Anthony Pettis. However, I think there's a pretty big size discrepancy there between Thompson and Pettis that we won't really see until they hit the cage. Uh, what did you pick up from your from your conversation with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, which is up at FightfulMMA.com and our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash FightfulMMABoxing? Uh, I just sense frustration. This guy's been wanting a fight forever. Uh, it looked like he was going to fight Robbie Lawler. And then, of course, Askren gets that fight and then they move that fight. So for Thompson, it's just, uh, you know, he's trying to get a fight. And, um, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, is the reason that you haven't got anything because you're still hurt? And he's like, no, I've been trying to get back in for a while. So I, I feel his pain. And now he's got, you know, Pettis trying to jump in line at featherweight. Um, you know, I, I get his frustration because Pettis, you know, if you look at both of those fighters, I mean, Thompson's been a little bit more successful over the last, you know, say five fights than Pettis has, not excusing the competition that Pettis has fought, which has been nothing but tough. But I, I get his frustration, and, and I think he's kind of saying like, hey, hold on a second here. If you're entering in a new division, why you come after me? I, I'm one of the top guys in the division. I realize that he's coming off a loss to Darren Till. I think a lot of people would disagree with that decision. But in general, I just sense that he was like, look, I'm just trying to, you know, get big fights in my division. I don't need a 55er who's coming off a loss you know, calling me out. So I, I could say, you know, cause Thompson's a pretty respectful guy, but I think he, he looked at that call out as kind of like, really, what are, what are you doing? Like, you know, you, you haven't even fought at welterweight before. Duke Rufus says that he has uh, the blueprint to beat Steven Wonderboy Thompson. I don't know if anybody has a for sure blueprint or playbook to beat him because of, because of that, that style that he has. Uh, Joe Katzingano appealing UFC 232 loss. I don't think she has a chance in hell here. That's nice. Good for her. Wait it's so it's such an odd decision. It's just it, I, I get it. You know, if, if you're if you're her and her camp, and it sucks the way that fight did, but the reality is the odds of any decision uh, or any result getting overturned is extremely rare. Uh, and this was one that I'm sure any commission out there that has um, a brain realizes that was a, a kick that was intended to hurt, and it hurt. It wasn't the intended result that we're used to seeing with a knockout or. Um, you know, a crunch to the face. It, it was a the toenail, but you know, all the best to her. Don't get me wrong. You know, uh, and crazier things have happened in MMA, but no, I, I don't. I don't think she's going to get anything out of it. It sucks for her uh, because you know, I, I I think the you. I don't know if it's just a matter of her getting getting that off her record and making it a no contest, and more of you know what I want to rematch with her, which I think they should do. It would be great, yeah. right? Because you know, despite my agreement that the kick 
was thrown with bad intentions and it did what it had to do, technically speaking, the result really wasn't there for us to say, you know what, who won this fight uh, if it was more of a Donnybrook, if you know what I'm saying. James, any shot of this? No, not at all. Um, let's just do the rematch. I mean, obviously it didn't, it didn't end, you know, well for, for Zingano, but I mean, we still don't have it. I've said this after the, the show, we still don't have enough answers about Me- Megan Anderson at this point. Like it, that fight told us nothing. And now you've got a division that, you know, has a new champion and there's no, there's no contenders, um, at, at this point. And, and that's why, you know, and if you saw my interview last week with Dan Lambert, he thinks Amanda is going to take her next fight at, at Bantamweight just because there's actually yeah. options there. Whereas Featherweight right now is a complete mess. So they, they should rebook that ASAP when Cat is ready to go. Um, you know, I know Megan feels like she deserves a title shot, but it's like, look, that fight didn't end properly. Uh, you know, let, let, let's see how it really goes. And let's, you know, if she goes out there and knocks her out and it's not like a, a weird injury, then fair enough. But I think we still have a lot of questions about Megan Anderson at Featherweight. This podcast is going on live Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern on our MMA and Boxing channel. That's youtube.com slash Fightful MMA Boxing. If you're watching this syndicated on our pro wrestling channel or on any of the podcast platforms, iHeart, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that good stuff, please subscribe to our MMA and Boxing channel. You can get James's exclusive interviews up there. He's got some up with Austin Arnett, Kyle Stewart, Mario Batista, Deron Wynn. That's one I really, really liked. Uh, Colby Covington, Dan Lambert, lots of good news in there. Uh, Jeff Hughes talking a little pro wrestling in there as well. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, as I mentioned, Carlos Toro does quick news hits. So do I clips from this go up on that channel. Sometimes we have event footage, just lots of neat stuff over there. Go over there. We're really pushing towards that 1000 subscriber mark and, uh, we're getting there thanks to you guys, but you can catch this show live every Tuesday, 2 PM Eastern as well as our post shows uh, in addition to that. You uh, talked to Duran Wynn, James, and we, you talked a little bit of pro wrestling, which I thought was nice, and he, he dropped a little bit of info on PFL. He said they're not really going to have their next tournament until the summer. Uh, I don't know that that was really out there. I'm not sure if they had announced when their next one was going to be. Can't Can't pretend I'm extremely hip to the PFL news, but that the, the fact that that was in consideration for a, quite frankly, the top uh, prospect in those two weight divisions at this point. That says something. A guy like that, where UFC was an option, was like, let me see what PFL is going to do. Do you think that these tournaments have people thinking like that? Because as we've seen, Sean O'Connell hit the bricks after he won. I don't know if it's so much the tournaments as it is the money. I think the really oh, yeah. the thing the thing that Duran really emphasized in that was he wants to get paid the most, and it looked like the UFC was the the best suitor for for that. So I think that's why he chose to go that route. And honestly, I don't think it's that surprising to know that the tournament was going to start in July because uh, it's there's a lot of organization that goes into it just with you know planning events every week, getting the logistics all there, figuring out your roster for 2019 because I'm sure there's going to be fighters that will not be back. I'm sure there's fighters that are interested in going there, so they probably need some time between now and then to figure things out because that's when the tournament starts last year was i believe in july they might have had i think a card or two just to you know say hey you know just to sort of fill time but um i I think there's a good chance that yeah everything could start again in july and it's too bad because i think he could have uh i think he probably would have won that middleweight tournament their middleweight division isn't isn't super strong i'm not nothing taking nothing away from lewis taylor but um you know duran is certainly an intriguing prospect just with his ncaa wrestling background um but yeah he's going to the ufc and i think the timing couldn't be better just because uh like i was mentioning earlier it's a it's a division that's going through a bit of transition right now so i think duran is is a quite a nice addition to that Joe, any thoughts on that? I mean, there there are a few options. One at one championship hasn't exactly started 
handing out a ton of money to prospect free agents, more established names. But it, the fact that PFL is out there, I don't know how it works financially, <laughs> but it's out there. I don't know, guys, to be honest with you. Um, you know, long before I got into the broadcasting side, I was on the promotion side. I was managing fighters. I was sponsoring fighters. Uh, I was doing a bunch of stuff with UCC back in the day, which became TKO, uh, Apex Championship Fighting. So I know um, what it was like to be a promoter. I used to hold my own uh, Toronto grappling events, right? So I know the money that, you know, goes in there, the budget, uh, the allocation. I don't know how these guys, uh, and yes, there were television deals that were, were on the table, especially, you know, when I got onto Sportsnet. Um, I, I just don't know how PFL operates the way they do and and you know there, there's 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 an old saying um you know back at sports that you know this this company's hemorrhaging money or that company's hemorrhaging money um i don't know how they're they're doing it but if it's working and they're getting paid i mean you guys last week or two weeks ago we're talking maybe a little bit more we're talking about the ratings uh for the finals of the tournament they weren't that great so i don't know like how these guys are doing it but in terms of of what's available out there for fighters it's it's you've got to take a look at where you are in your trajectory of your career. If you're a prospect, like you said, Sean, where do you want to start? Where do you want to get at? You've always got to be thinking, you know, one, two, each contract, um, you know, you got to be careful of the terms that you're signing, but each contract should get you to where you need to be. So do you start off in PFL, then get to the UFC? Do you go to 1FC and maybe never get to the UFC? You know, what do you want to do? At the end of the day, um, what, we talked about this a long time ago with Ben Askren, you know, what are you looking for? Legacy? Are you looking for pay and getting paid? You know, which one is it? Can you do both, right? If you can get a legacy and do both uh, under the UFC banner, as an example, get her done. We're going to hit you guys with a quick Q&A before we preview uh, the ESPN Brooklyn debut uh, by U- or from UFC. Someone says, <clears throat> what do you guys think of Gaslam versus Whitaker? I think it's a solid fight, personally. Uh, I think that w- Gaslam stands a solid chance of winning the middleweight title, to be quite honest with you. Uh, although I'm, I'm picking Robert Whitaker in that bout. Joe, what are your thoughts? Whitaker? Right? Like, and it's it is in his backyard, too. Yeah, it's, well, how do you deal with that? But I'm sure he's, he'll be fine. I just think that, um, you know, Bobby Knuckles just brings something else to the table, and, and we'll see what happens, because Kelvin continues to prove us wrong on various occasions, but Whitaker to me, I mean, which fight was it, Sean, that I kind of lost my marbles? Because you're the one from day one when we started Fightful, uh, were just like just hammering me and hammering me about Whitaker. And I'm like, ah, you know what? When he was on the re- on the reality show, I loved him, but I don't know about this move to middleweight and holy. I think it was Souza. It was the Souza fight. The Souza fight. That's it. Yeah. I was just like, whoa, like this guy. And then when he blew out his knee in the other fight, I was like, my goodness. So. I, I, I'm on the Sean Ross Sapp bandwagon when it comes to Whitaker. I'm not going to ever, you know, go against him until proven otherwise. He's just so good, guys. That that fight was movie territory to me, where you've yeah. got the big, allegedly juiced up Cuban guy coming, and his, his opponent blows his knee out, is already oversized to begin with, and then comes back and wins. Uh, James, someone asks, assuming both Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya fight or win at UFC 234, do they fight each other or somebody else? I think Adesanya has to get the next title shot uh, when he defeats Anderson Silva. I, I'm pretty confident he, he he gets that win there. I I said this before. I didn't like that matchup. I felt like Israel, you know, obviously 
he doesn't want to be a backup fighter. He wants to stay active. I get why he wants to fight Anderson, but I just feel like, you know, let's, let's not mess around here. Just give him the title shot. Um, you know, I guess he wanted to stay active, but, uh, to me, Anderson doesn't deserve a fight with Israel at this point. He's, you know, I, I don't think he beat Derek Brunson. Um, you know, and, and, uh, Israel just demolished Derek Brunson, but that's, that's another, that's a podcast for another day. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely fight at some point. I mean, just think of it. They're both, um, you know, Aussies. So I, I think that's one of those fights where there, there could definitely be some fireworks there. And, uh, you know, I will see how Whitaker looks uh, getting to that fight quickly with, with Gaslam. I actually like this fight because, you know, Gaslam probably shouldn't have got that title shot. I mean, he lost to, to Weidman last year. Um, you know, he he's an undersized middleweight. But here's the thing. Whitaker's taken a lot of damage, had a lot of injuries. Is he still going to be the same Whitaker we've seen? I don't know. We'll find out in that fight. I mean, I, I'll pick Whitaker if we have to look at the two on paper. But there is that wear and tear argument. And I think if you look at who's taken more damage, it's definitely been Robert Whitaker. I, for one, love the Adesanya-Anderson Silva fight. I pushed for it after Adesanya's win just to keep him busy. But here's a nice question to follow that up, James. Say Anderson Silva and Robert Whitaker win. Do they sell out Curitiba with that main event a few months later at 236, 237, whatever it is? Yeah, I think you're really banking on the the name value of Anderson Silva. Then, if that if that's the case, because Whitaker's not he's not like a big numbers draw. And, right. and if you've seen interviews with him, no offense, but doesn't really have much of a personality. He's a great fighter, but some guys just don't have a great personality, and he's one of them. It's you know like watching paint dry a little bit, but he uh, he certainly um, you know he certainly backs it up with the talk and you know with the with how he fights in the cage. Um, so I'll, I'll say no on that because yeah, I just I, I don't see it as big of a fight. Like if it's George and Anderson, fair enough, but. Uh, yeah, it's Robert Whitaker, you know? I think an Anderson Silva title fight and an Anderson Silva fight with GSP are the two left for Silva because the funny thing is, Joe, I know you'll remember Ed Soros trolling everybody. I don't know that it ever actually came from Anderson Silva's mouth, but back in the day when he said, oh, Anderson, Anderson's going to retire at 35. Anderson, yeah, Anderson. And I was yeah. like, nobody believes that. And yeah. Like he just got this good. So the fact that he's now 40 something years old, I think he's gosh, how 43, he'll be 44 in a couple months. And now he's finally talking about the light at the end of the tunnel for his career is something because I don't know an MMA landscape without Anderson Silva. I've never seen one in, in all my years. Uh, do you think that Anderson has one more big marquee fight in him? whether it be from talent or just getting that fight? Um, I think I gave up on Anderson a while ago because this is the most gifted mixed martial artist, more than John Jones, in my opinion, uh, that we may have ever seen in our lifetime. He's just He was just so good in his prime, but I think he just started to play around too much and it just kind of messed up with his career at this weird sort of, there may have been one MMA god on the karma side that says, no, you can't do this anymore. You're going to pay for this. And, you know, we saw in the first Chris Weidman fight, then he got that rematch and, you know, he started picking apart Weidman and then crunch, there goes his shin. Um, and then his career just derailed from there. But uh, to go back to the Curitiba argument, I, I listen, if he wins, if he beats Israel and Whitaker wins, that that main event would be absolutely huge. If I'm the promoter, damn right I'm doing that. And whatever happens, happens, whether Anderson wins or not. He can retire on that. That's just a fantastic story uh, to go in that manner. I don't know that GSP GSP is not going to fight him. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm just telling you right now, GSP is not going to mm-hmm. fight him uh, based on all the different, you know, performance enhancing drugs that have been surrounding Anderson Silva as of late. George is not going to go near that. He don't, you know, I don't believe he thinks it's a fair fight. 
Um, he'd fight him in general, but not under these not under unified rules of MMA, if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, it, it remains to be seen about Anderson Silva, knowing that you know at his age, the horizon. You are about to step onto the horizon. You don't have many fights left. Uh, and it's guys like Anderson Silva that may or may not, because he does operate in a different frequency. You know, Dana's called him an artist. It's like negotiating with an artist. He may or may not look back at his career and say, coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, I was the greatest. I was the pound for pound best. Um, you know, I was, I was feared. I was loved all over the world. I just messed around too much because if he didn't just kept doing what he was supposed to do, you know, this, this guy would have been, went down as the goat, no ifs, ands, or buts. So ahead of UFC, Tooth or UFC Brooklyn, a lot of people were wondering, will Rachel Ostevich actually make it to the fight? It's the week of the fight. And throughout the domestic abuse situation, all the fallout, all the controversy, all the media she's had to do because of other controversies, James, she's she's still there. Did it surprise you that she's still on this card? And uh, why do you think that she insisted on it? Uh, well, that's, that's, uh, that's what we call a loaded question, Sean. Um, I, I think that, um, I think if you had followed her on Instagram, you knew that she was, she was training. She looks in great shape. Um, yeah, I, I figured she was going to make the fight just based off all the updates we were seeing on social media. And, um, I, I think as far as her taking the fight, she, she needs the money. I mean, that's something we don't see a lot of people talk about, but I guarantee you the reason she's fighting, she probably, if she had a, a preference, she probably wouldn't be fighting on this card. But I think the fact that she, you know, the, these fighters don't get paid great, especially, you know, prelim fighters. I mean, she's on the main card here, but in general, she fights on the prelims. Um, I think that's why she, she took the matchup. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think for her, it's, it's, it, and I'm sure too, I, I can't speak as someone who, you know, I, I've never been through domestic violence, but I would imagine that she probably wants to just keep her mind off everything and just stay focused on her fighting career. And why not do that by, by taking a fight with Paige Van Zandt? Joe, your thoughts? Bang on with the money comment, James. I think James is absolutely correct. It's just a matter of, you know, when, when you are financially stable, it's, it's your little iron in the fire. You can negotiate a little bit better when you need the money. And I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to assume that, you know, someone in Rachel's scenario um, hasn't made millions of dollars, you know, hasn't made hundreds of thousands of dollars that each one of these fights and the paydays that come with them pay some of the bills and maybe put some aside. So you, you, you've you got to budget yourself if you're smart enough to understand that, okay, you know, I'm getting X amount uh, on this date here and I could really use that money to pay off, you know, this credit card, this rent or whatever, blah, blah. So I think it could be mostly monetary. I don't know. I don't think James and I know that for a fact, but you know, at, at this level of someone's career and this pay scale, I think she needs the money. So it sucks that it's just the way that that, it, that was put together. But got to get paid, right? James, the thing that I wanted to discuss with you in particular, because I know you know who I'm talking about, and you know some of the the players involved. Chance Encounter scheduled for a fight this weekend. Originally set to fight Randy Brown, not of Chicago Bulls fame. <laughs> Dwight Grant replaces Randy Brown. Now, when when Randy Brown was out, there were a lot of calls, especially from the man himself, Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis, nineteen and five, won on Dana White's Contender Series, uh, did so in impressive fashion with a hook kick, and uh, injured himself in the time being. Uh, retired briefly out of frustration, but has had fights scheduled for December and January. Both of them f- fell out, not with the UFC. He has offered himself up in several late-notice situations and, for whatever reason, has been rejected. 
No reason given to him. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. No reason given from the UFC. Because if you're in that situation, the UFC's not going to talk about you. Well, that fight falls out. And Dwight Grant isn't able to fight either. Instead, it's Kyle Stewart. So had Chris Curtis been booked on uh, on this show just to face Chancellor Encounter in, in general, I'd been like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. 19 and 5, he's won a bunch of fights in a row. I mean, he's he's a mainstay at CES. What's what's the deal? I mean, obviously, he's not blackballed to some extreme degree, or he wouldn't have been on Dana White's contender series. Why can't this guy get a fight in the UFC? I don't know. Um, I, I think that, I, I mean, I, I know if Sean Shelby doesn't like someone, he doesn't like someone or Mick Maynard or whoever. I mean, they just, they're, they're, we've seen cases like this. Like Shorty Torres was a guy, you know, he eventually got to the UFC, but for whatever reason, they didn't like him. Um, you know, the fact that they gave up on him so quickly after one loss, I think shows that. I know the flyweight division is, they're trying to get rid of it, but, but nonetheless, the, he was just never treated well in the UFC. Chris Curtis is just one of those cases. I think the only thing I can point to is that he's a little bit older, and that might be they're not usually as willing to sign guys like that. The guy that did get the fight, Kyle Stewart, um, I want to say he's in. I, let me just find out how old he is. I, I believe he's you know uh, less. Um, he's under. Yeah, he's twenty nine. So I guess he's, he's not 31. that far off from Chris. Yeah. Chris, I think is what thirty three. I think he's thirty one. Okay, well then there you go. So I don't know. He must have done something or said something or done something. I don't know that that got the matchmakers upset. But but I agree. Um, and it's also I think proximity as well. Although saying that Stewart's from uh, lives in Phoenix, so it's not like that's like a close uh, you know uh, plane ride to Brooklyn or anything. So I don't know. Your your guess is as good as mine. I just think he's one of those guys for some reason that has been on on a you know sort of a blackball list. Like another example too is James Nakashima, who's the LFA champion. He kept fighting to a decision. It seemed like the UFC just wasn't thrilled about that, even though he was beating everyone, including Kyle Stewart, who's making his debut this weekend. Um, but uh, so James is like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to one championship and he, and he did, and he's probably getting paid good money. So I think the UFC is just a little bit weird when it comes to signing certain fighters. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that particularly confused me about the Chris Curtis thing. And, and we'll talk to Joe about this as well, but Chris Curtis on the contender series had a great showing, had a great finish. It's his last 10 fights. He's got one loss and it's to Nishan Burrell, who is a UFC strike force Bellator veteran. And that, that was, that, a, that was a fight that I don't know if you saw that fight that Chris should have won that fight. That was a bad decision. Yeah. Now, while his Bellator run doesn't exactly prove our point, and he's at, in his late 30s, we've seen this with Gerald Harris as well, a guy who is very clearly UFC caliber, could never get that call, never did get that call again because of one fight. Chris Curtis never had that. He never had the benefit of a run. Uh, Joe, I really thought that that type of thing was going to be out the window, maybe, maybe when Joe Silva left, but it's not. It's still there. No, uh, I, I would argue to say that Joe Silva was a bit more lenient uh, than Sean Shelby. And, and you know, Maynard is a Sean Shelby protege uh, by all, you know, by all accounts. So you're, you're talking about if you, whenever in doubt, think about what's happening behind the scenes. Very simple. Whenever there's a doubt, think about what's happening behind the scenes. And, you know, unfortunately, it's a game 
um, uh, of you know when, when you're dealing with matchmakers in general, even not just with the UFC, but in general, it can get into a situation where I'm the man. I will decide who fights here. You won't. You play the game, and when I'm ready, I will call you and watch your mouth. Right? Yeah. And whether you do something publicly or or you know push back behind the scenes, you got to be careful. You know, and it, it, it's one of those things that's happened to other fighters that have left the organization and left the promotion where it's like they don't want to deal with that with the matchmakers there, right? And I don't blame them. Unfortunately, when you're at the top of the heap, when you're the king of the mountain, you got to play the game sometimes. And it sucks, you know, I'm not asking anyone to be a company man or a company woman, but sometimes you got to play that game and then, you know, or you better have something else in that fire. That's all I'm saying. Well, there's two other things quickly. Sorry to interrupt here uh, that I that I forgot to mention. Uh, one is good management. Um, if you look at you know the fighters that have gotten signed recently, like Iridium Sports, uh, you know Mario Batista, he's making his debut this Saturday. Iridium, for whatever reason, has a great relationship with the UFC. They get a lot of guys in. One thing that people don't talk about a lot, and I don't mind talking about it now because it's you know it's, uh, he doesn't own it anymore. But uh, when Mick Maynard was hired as UFC matchmaker, he was still owner of LFA. A lot of people yeah. don't talk about that. That's a huge conflict of interest, first off. And second off, you saw how many fighters from LFA get promoted to the UFC. You look at who they sign. It's te- it's usually LFA fighters. So there's a bit of bias there. Now, CES, where Curtis fought, is kind of a rival organization to LFA. They're both, they were both on Access. CES is on Fight Pass now. But they, you know, I think there was sort of a, a competition there, too, because you didn't see too many CES fighters sign. Like, remember how difficult it was for Matt Bassett to get signed? Like, I think there is some sort of a bias there in a way. That could be another theory as well, just kind of spitballing. But uh, yeah, I think uh, you know, good management and, and the fact that Curtis didn't fight for LFA, I think played against him too. I think that's a fantastic theory. Before we even get into UFC Brooklyn, I'm going to ask you, Joe, does TJ Dillashaw make the weight of 125 pounds? I had somebody say, I can't believe so many people are questioning this. I can't believe more people aren't questioning this. Yeah, I mean, by all, by all accounts, some of the stuff that I've read and some of the people that I've just kind of, you know, messaged back and forth, just talking in general, um, the weight cut wasn't easy. wasn't that hard. It's been work, you know, but you know, by all accounts, he's going to make the weight. Do I think he's going to do it, man? Is it going to be close, man? I it's, whew, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll, you know, me, Sean, I'm going to say yes. Right. But it's going to be close. It's going to be, whew, best of luck, son. James, we have the coaches of Henry Cejudo saying, if you don't, we should put the 135-pound title on the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, let's be – Henry's got to make weight too. He's had issues as well making flyweight. So I think – I know he's looked in great shape, but I don't see a lot of people – What's that? What if they both don't make weight? Well, that's – yeah, exactly. Then, 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 yeah, who knows what they'll do then. Yeah. From a commission or regulatory standpoint, is it possible if, say, tomorrow they're having weight cut issues – that they say, let's just bump it up, and the UFC agrees. Is is there a possibility? Are there any hurdles that maybe Iron I'm not aware of that could switch this from a flyweight championship fight to a bantamweight championship fight, guys? I think I, th- I think there could be issues because I think you know TJ signed a contract to fight at uh, flyweight uh, you know title fight to make that a bantamweight title fight. I don't think TJ would would want that. I don't think that that'll fly at all. Even if he does miss weight, I don't think, you know, I think legally he is allowed to say, okay, we'll just do a bantamweight fight, but it won't be for my title. I could see that happening. Cuz I just think that 
Uh, the whole point of him going down to flyweight was to make history. And and for TJ, he has a little bit more leverage. I mean, he's he's been a champion longer um, in terms of, you know, he was champion the first time and then he got his title back. Um, to me, he stands on a bit more, uh, you know, uh, legs, so to speak, than, than Henry does. So I think that's part of it. Like, I can't, like, if they both miss weight or one of them misses weight or whatever, I just don't see the, the bantamweight title being on the line because TJ, I, you know, I imagine the fact that he even got this fight, I think speaks volumes to the, the amount of pull he has. Well, let's talk about it. UFC Brooklyn, it is the first fight on the ESPN networks. We'll have a live post show immediately afterwards. We will talk about this show uh, next week. But this is a hell of a card. We're going to give you the betting odds, our thoughts. And then at the end, I'll give you my I got five on it. (laughs) Let's start off with the flyweight championship fight. Henry Cejudo, TJ Dillashaw. Joe Dillashaw has never fought at flyweight that I'm aware of. Cejudo has had issues making weight. I mean, we we just talked about that. Cejudo is a plus 175. Dillashaw a minus 210. How do you see this one going? It's a tough scrap to break down because TJ's Dillashaw's striking uh, is usually, you know, it's it's fantastic. The the way he comes in and out and, and throws his strikes and sets up his combos um, it, it may be too difficult for Henry Cejudo to deal with, but at the same time, the weight cut what could impact his performance should this fight go more than three rounds, right? So it's very difficult to say. And then again, Henry Cejudo beat Mighty Mouse Johnson. Close, but he beat him. And Mighty Mouse Johnson was arguably the greatest pound-for-pound fighter we have and, you know, the, the perfect mixed martial artist. So this is a fantastic fight. It's very difficult to say. And, you know, like you said, when you look at the odds and who should, you know, should you put five on it or not, it's, it's a very difficult one to look at. Uh, with Dillashaw being the underdog, I'll put five on that, no problem. I think we got to look at what effect that TJ Dillashaw is going to have from not, from, from losing all this weight. I mean, somebody pointed it out in the live chat right now. He doesn't have a neck right now. That is very <laughs> un-Dillashaw-like. And while this fight isn't at Bantamweight, James, against Bantamweights, Cejudo is very, very successful, although none to the level of a TJ Dillashaw. Will will Dillashaw be able to stop Cejudo's wrestling? Because we saw his hands improve to a scary, like like the leap between his, I, I want to say the Demetrius Johnson fight and the Joseph Benavidez fight was amazing for a few months. From April to December 2016, his striking game improved a lot, and it's only gotten better. However, when you talk about that, you're talking about the angles and the footwork of TJ Dillashaw that has frustrated some of the best in the world at that. It's very interesting. I think the weight cut is really the biggest thing here because if we're looking at a healthy TJ Dillashaw, the Dillashaw we saw, you know, knock out Cody Garbrandt and and everyone else, um, I I think that TJ wins every day. I mean, I just, there are levels to this and I think TJ might be one of the best strikers in the UFC. Let's just forget about bantamweight, whatever. I think, I think technically he's one of the best strikers there. So you just put that into frame, but Here's the thing that kind of worries me a little bit about Dillashaw, aside from the cut, which, you know, I, I get people being concerned, but I mean, it seems like he's tracking this. I saw the whole post on Instagram where he's doing it on a computer and there's all this science, but Brett Okamoto tried to tweet it out yesterday. I have no clue about it. I didn't do very well in math in high school, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, if, if he's if he's able to, you know, go in there and look good. The only thing is though, like Dillashaw has been hit a little bit in his career, right? If you look at uh, even the Hen and Brow fight, um, you know, you look at obviously, uh, you know, Garbrandt knocked him down and then it just, you know, was saved by the bell. Your chin doesn't get any better when you cut extra weight, right? So he might be more susceptible. Now I know Cejudo only has, I think, one knockout win, um, the one over Wilson Hayes, 
But that's a concern to me. Like if it stays standing, Dillashaw might be like, you know what? I'm the better striker. I'll go for it. But it's possible because of the extra weight he's cutting, he could be more susceptible for a knockout. So that worries me. But if we're looking at this on paper, I mean, Dillashaw has to be, he is the favorite. I see people saying, oh, everyone's counting on Cejudo. Well, they're not. It's just that Dillashaw's looks so good in his run. And Cejudo, I don't think he beat Demetrius Johnson. And I want to say one quick thing about that too, which is that, you know, I think when in, in Johnson's shoes, I'm not saying he, oh, yeah, I think to a certain degree, he did overlook Cejudo in the rematch because think of it this way. You, you win the first fight by an impressive fashion, a knockout. Like it could, that first fight couldn't have gone any better for DJ. You've got the rematch. You've defended your title. I don't know how many times, like all the greats lose, all the greats, Fedor, Anderson Silva, they, they all get to a certain point where no matter how focused you want to be, you do sort of let things slip away a little bit. And DJ, I thought, let things slip away, a, slip away a little bit, but it still went to a decision. And I still thought he won the fight. So, I mean, it's not like Henry went out there and, you know, completely dominated DJ. It was a close fight and he beat him. You know, a win's a win. We'll, we'll, we'll say that he won the fight, but Dillashaw, you know, other than one one loss recently to Cruz, which I think could have gone his way, I think Dillashaw is rightfully the favorite, favorite in this fight. I am, for one, sick of the Bantamweight carousel. They got to get that division up and going and continuing it's been Dillashaw, Cruz, Garbrandt, Faber nonstop yeah. for years. They've got to get off that treadmill and get some new blood going. You could have given that title shot to Cejudo and closed down the flyweight division, which they clearly want to do. They clearly want to do it. Or you could have given it to uh, Marlon Marias and nobody would have batted an eye. Wait, Sean, they, they clearly want to close a division, but didn't um... – uh, Benavides signed strictly for flyweight fights. He signed to be the replacement in this fight. But wasn't it a four fight deal all at 125? Yeah, I, I don't buy anything. You think the UFC doesn't have a way out of that? Yeah. Yeah, I just I mean, want to make sure. It just makes it just when I saw that news, I'm like, what? Huh? It's, it's weird, man. It's weird, man. Greg Hardy fighting uh, Alan Crowder. Alan Crowder, you all probably no, nobody probably knows a lot about him, but he is a plus four oh five. Spoiler alert: he's going to be one of my I got five on it's later. Greg Hardy, a minus five ten. What can you say? Greg Hardy's going to go in there. He's going to throw his hands. He's going to hope that that hand connects on Alan Crowder's jaw, and probably vice versa. It's a heavyweight fight, and a heavyweight fight featuring a very very inexperienced Greg Hardy, who does have a special level of, of athleticism, James. And I had somebody say, well, he's getting into UFC and he's 30 already. That doesn't matter at heavyweight. That does not matter at heavyweight. Uh, you had Dan Lambert saying, yeah, Bobby Lashley could beat some of these guys. Bobby's 42, 43 mm-hmm. at this stage. How do you think this one goes, James? Well, I think the the thing you talked about off the top about the betting odds, I agree. No way you could put any money on this. You, you could put five on Crowder just because it is heavyweight MMA. But um, let's let's talk about Alan Crowder's last fight. I was at that one. I was in Detroit, UFC 218. Justin Willis knocked him out in the first round. Justin Willis is not known as a knockout guy. This guy went to a decision with Chase Sherman uh, not that long ago, and and you know we had a decision against Mark Hunt. Like that looks that loss looks even worse now. And then you've got the layoff, and then you've got the fact that he's not training at Hard Knocks for this camp. I mean, Hardy, let's take everything we know about Greg Hardy outside of the cage, out of this equation here, and you watch his fights. He looks impressive. I mean, I, I, he moves very fast for heavyweight. Um, and, and there's something about him that's a little bit, you know, and that might explain some of the past issues that he's had, that th- there's like a, a bit of a killer instinct in there too that, that I haven't seen. And add in the fact he's an American top team, he's getting really quality. You know, the guy's getting to work with, you know, all, all types of top heavyweight fighters. I, I think I, I think you know the line is certainly justified. I wouldn't bet on it because it's heavyweight because you know anything can happen. 
But I think Greg Hardy's going to shine here. And I, I think in the co-main event, I think, you know, people talk about pressure. This guy's fought in the NFL. People wanted him out. I, I think every situation, you notice, uh, you know, he hasn't been doing any interviews or anything like that because I think they know people are going to ask him about that stuff. This guy's lasered in and he's got to win this fight. And I think he will. I think he gets a knockout. Joe, does the experience factor matter at all in this, considering the level of heavyweight we're seeing? Uh, Crowder has fought pro and amateur for, I think, over seven years. Greg Hardy, about 14 months. This is Greg Hardy's seventh fight, total amateur and pro. Uh, I think it's Crowder's 20th. He's been in there with Curtis Blades and made it to the second round, albeit that was that was several years ago. Uh, will that play any role, or will it just be whoever's whoever's closed fist connects to the chin first well i'm gonna go with b i mean a it should make a difference if you're an intelligent fighter you're a cerebral fighter you got to look at the situation and say to yourself okay you know what greg hardy now james says he's impressed i I haven't been overly impressed uh what i do like about hardy is that he is a fighter okay he's trending now to becoming a, a mixed martial artist right he's getting there he's he's you know when you're at att you have no choice but to get better uh, under the assumption that he's training on a regular basis at ATT uh, and not doing, you know, with some of the guys, you know, I'm with this camp, but guy shows up twice a week, right? Mm-hmm. So Greg Hardy, in my opinion, is a fighter, meaning referee or not, you want to get into a scrap with me? Let's go. I don't care. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going uh, and, you know, until one of us goes down. That's what Greg Hardy has in him. Now you take those skills and you hone them, you make them into a mixed martial artist. That's a very dangerous combination. Right, that's where the elite fighters become, you know, great mixed martial artists. Uh, Crowder should use his experience and be smart enough not to engage overly too much with Hardy because if that fist does land, you're going to sleep. Let's carry this guy. Let's carry. Let's let's give him enough for him to work and carry him to the second or third round, and then I'm going to switch gears and then I'll go in for the finish if you can do it. Not saying Crowder can do that, but at the same time, experience should play a factor here. Will it? I don't think so. Greg Hardy's just going to go in there. He knows all the eyes are going to be on him in this co-main event, and he's going to go in there and do what he always does, go in and try and get that finish. This show is propped up by one hell of an undercard. You have Gregor Gillespie against Yancey Medeiros. Yancey Medeiros won three of his last four fights. Gregor Gillespie is 5-0 and in the UFC. When you look at that line, Gregor Gillespie is a massive favorite yeah. at minus 510. Yancey Medeiros is a plus four, 405. Then on the other end of the spectrum, if you're going from name value, I think a lot of people from the outside looking in would expect this Glover to share a Carl Roberson line to be much different than it is. Roberson a plus 110, Glover to share a minus 130. Uh, Joe, who are you picking in each of these fights and do these lines surprise you? Uh, the line with Medeiros and Gillespie does surprise me. Uh, I think a lot of the lines, sorry, whoa, let's rip the headphones out of my ears here. Uh, a lot of these lines here, guys, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but many of them are, are, are sort of overinflated. Um, you know, you get a lot of fans in general that, you know, it's, it's like, if I can make the comparison to soccer, for example, Manchester United plays or something like that, the line gets overinflated because it's such a massive fan base You've got to subtract some of that and make it more equal. So you look at some of this stuff here, and you know I don't believe Yancey Madero should be a, a, an underdog that much. Maybe in the in the low two hundreds, maybe you know. So I'm I'm giving him some credit in this fight here. I know Gillespie's fantastic, but Madero's has been lighting it up despite even in this last scrap, which was just insane, right? So um, it, it's Gillespie should win this fight. Yes. But God, I'd like to see Madero's light up Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii goes crazy when this guy fights. 
And of course, Glover Teixeira and, and Carl Robertson. I think that line is actually incorrect. Uh, I think Robertson wins this fight. Robertson is, uh, w- including Dana White's contender series in UFC, he is three and one in the company, James. He does have experience at light heavyweight. He's fought there before. Uh, how do you think these two fights go? Yeah, it's funny. I actually, uh, I, I'm actually going the other way. I think Glover Teixeira beats uh, Robertson uh, mainly just because of experience. Uh, Robertson's only got eight fights. He's moving up a weight class. We should mention he was at middleweight, and now he's moving up to 205 on short notice. Um, interestingly enough, Robertson is a teammate of Corey Anderson, who's the last guy to defeat Glover. So, uh, you know, maybe some insight there. Um, but, uh, and, you know, obviously, it's, it's sort of what it comes down to is this. I mean, Glover is clearly not the same fighter he was. He's 39 years old. Um, you know, he hasn't fought since, what, July of last year. So it has been a bit of a layoff here. But I just think there is a clear advantage here. If Glover wants to take this to the ground, we see Robertson's only loss was by submission. And I think Glover could very well do that as well. So, um, you know, I think experience will pay in this fight. And I think uh, I think Glover will surprise some people. And I think the line's right where it needs to be just because of the experience factor. Um, the Gregor Gillespie fight's interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Uh, first off, I think if you look, Gregor is absolutely a talent, but we don't know too much about him because if you look at the, the guys he's fought, Vince Pichel, Jordan Rinaldi, Jason Gonzalez, Andrew Holbrook, those aren't really like household names. They're not names where you say like, wow, that was a really good win. Like he's, he's beat all of them. He's finished them. But you know, I, I think Yancey is probably the most notable guy he's fought so far and Yancey dropping. I mean, a lot of people are worried about the weight cut. I interviewed Yancey. He was 164 pounds when I interviewed him two weeks ago. So he's obviously, and he's cut out meat completely. He's on a plant-based diet now, I guess taken after his buddies, the Diaz brothers, just going <laughs> completely plant. Um, even mentioned he might go to 45 after this, depending on how the cut goes, which is crazy when you think he fought at middleweight at one point. Um, so, you know, I don't think the weight cut will be an issue, but here's a prop I wanted to bring up to you guys. Medeiros wins by TKO or KO is plus 675. That's a good one. That is a good one. So I might lay that because I think, I think here's the thing. A lot of people are like, you know, Gillespie's going to smoke him. I don't know, man. Medeiros is Hawaiian. Those guys don't go down (laughs) easily. Uh, I would never count on a Hawaiian in a fight. So I think Gillespie will win. But if there's value in this fight, it's definitely on Medeiros because I think a lot of people are overlooking him. And he didn't even really need to go down to 55 because he only had one loss to Cerrone. We forget that it was just uh, December of 2017. He got that win over Cowboy Oliveira, which is a great win in that division. So um, I'll go Gillespie, but the value's on Medeiros. And then what was the other ones? Oh, um, uh, I, I think, well, I, I don't know if we talked about it, but I, I got uh, Benavidez over Ortiz and I got Paige yeah. Van Zandt over Ostevich as well. Yeah, I've I've got Benavidez over Ortiz as well. Benavidez at minus two thirty five. Dustin Ortiz a plus one ninety five. Uh, then you have Paige Van Zant a one fifty five underdog over Rachel Rachel Ostevich plus one thirty five. Your uh, quick picks for those, uh, Joe. The the men's division is just trying to stay alive. Joseph Benavidez is there, probably just trying to make weight in case somebody doesn't in the main event. Yeah, I think Benavides wins this fight. Uh, hands down. I think it would be a good scrap. Dustin Ortiz uh, does bring the action, but I think Benavidez, uh, uh, hopefully he keeps his mind straight and realizes, you know, you, you got to focus on Ortiz as much as it sucks that you may go into this title fight, but uh, I think he emerges victorious, and I think Paige Van Zandt uh, defeats Rachel Olsevich. We also have a couple of, of really high-level prelim fights I want to talk about. Donald Cerrone against Alex Hernandez. Cerrone a plus 165. Hernandez a minus 190. I think that's a dangerous line in, in some degrees when you talk about Alex Hernandez and the buzz that he's gotten coming into the UFC. I wouldn't be, I, I'm picking Cerrone to win this fight, James, but how do you feel about this one? 
I feel like when a fighter gets up in there in age, which Cerrone is, and you're going back down to a weight class like 155, I think that's bad news. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know why he's deciding to do this at this point. Maybe he feels like he's undersized. Like he's just coming off a win over Mike Perry at welterweight. You think that he would want to stick in that division. Uh, he's fighting a guy in Alexander Hernandez. I mean, we talked, you know, earlier about, you know, Dillashaw and the cut and, you know, his chin. Cerrone's chin could be susceptible here too with the cutting that those extra pounds. I don't think he cuts a ton of weight, but that still can't help. And Hernandez has knockout power. Um, this is a huge fight. I, I, I'm picking Hernandez here. I just think uh, the youth, the speed, the, the knockout power he has, as long as he can avoid the ground, I think this is Hernandez's fight because I think he'll outstrike him. Now, he does have to watch out for those leg kicks, but I think in general, Hernandez's speed will be too much for Cerrone. Joe, any thoughts on this one? Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Don't text me. Don't call me. Don't email me. Don't bother <laughs> me. Let me enjoy it. You also have Joanne Calderwood and Ariane Lipsky, I, I think the world of, and she is definitely a, a great prospect for the UFC, but this is her debut fight in the company. I was surprised that the line was minus 210 for her, plus 175 for Calderwood. I think Calderwood has the potential to be a top name in this division. I'm actually picking her to win, Joe. How do you think it, it ends up? It's tough to say with, with Calderwood, right? I mean, I think people are sort of, they've given her as much love as possible. It just hasn't happened. It hasn't, you know, turned over as much as, as many people would like to have happened. Although she does, you know, she, she is, she did emerge victorious via submission in her last fight, but that was in August. So it, it's tough to say. Uh, you know me. My heart's always going to be with Calderwood. Best voice in MMA. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, James, any thoughts on this one? Well, I like Lipsky in this fight, but it's funny you guys say that because I actually disagree a little bit. Uh, Calderwood, I think she's just been in the wrong weight class. She's she funny doesn't have weight. the best voice in MMA. What's that? I said you disagree. She doesn't have the best voice oh, in yeah, MMA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you look you look at her losses. I mean, those are top fighters. Cynthia Calvillo, uh, Jessica Andrade, who's now fighting for the title. I mean, those aren't bad losses for her. Um, and she, you know, she had that, she still has that win over Letourneau at flyweight as well. I think this is the right weight class for her. She's switched camps. She's at syndicate now. Um, she's actually, I think dating the head coach, uh, John Wood there. So, uh, you know, I mean, obviously she's getting some good training there with female training partners. That's one of the things I know she's had for this camp. She's been, Sarah Kaufman's been down there. There's been a couple fighters that she's gotten to work with. So I think this fight will be closer than people think, but Lipsky's a killer. Uh, if you ever watched her fights in KSW, she is, she is a straight up savage and I, I'm expecting her to win. I think that's why the the line is where it is. Um, but I think Calderwood will do better than people are thinking. You have some veterans that are underdogs here as we round out this show. Dennis Bermudez, a plus 115 as he faces Tay Edwards, who is minus 135. You have Bilal Muhammad, plus 155. Jeff Neal's a minus 175 against him. Then you have Chance Rencounter, who is a plus 165 against his 74th opponent on this show. Kyle Stewart, <laughs> a minus 215. Corey Sandhagen, who... Uh, James spoke to ahead of uh, like his replacement and spoke to Mario Batista as well. Batista is a plus 385. Sanhagen is a minus 485. Then you have Alonzo Minfield, minus 260. Vinicius Morea is plus 220. James, which of these fights uh, stand out to you and which of these fights are you most looking forward to? Uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of really good fights here. Um, I really like the, uh, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by the uh, Dennis Bermudez and T Edwards fight just because Edwards had such a disappointing debut and you've got Bermudez who, you know, he's lost a couple, a lot of split decisions though. Uh, not like he's been, you know, knocked out in all these fights and he's moving up to 155. Um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, I'll put five in it. I'll put five in Bermudez. 
He's got way more experience than T. Edwards. He's, uh, you know, again, those losses he had at featherweight, they were close. Um, I think there's definitely some value there. I think fight of the night, hands down, has got to be Bilal Muhammad and Jeff Neal. I am a mm-hmm. big Jeff Neal fan. What he has done in that entire team this past year at Fortis has been unstoppable. Bilal Muhammad, always game, always putting on good wins. But I think Neal's knockout power is going to be the difference. And he's a young guy, too. I think he's only like 26. So that that's uh, he's definitely a dangerous guy in the division. Um, and then, um, yeah, what else? Uh, Sanhagen and Batista. Um, you know, I think if you see the interview that we did with Batista here on Fightful, the exclusive I got yesterday, he didn't even expect to get a UFC call. And I think Sanhagen, um, you know, he's a tough guy to finish. Look at Yuri Alcantara. He thought he had him down and out. And Sanhagen gets one of the best comeback wins in UFC history, gets that finish over Alcantara in his last fight. I got to favor Sanhagen there. I like Bermudas and I like Jeff Neal. And then opening it up, I actually like Kyle Stewart over a chance for encounter. The only thing is, and uh, again, check out the exclusive we did yesterday on Fightful with Kyle Stewart. He says he's got to cut 30 pounds. Now, I, I asked him this in the interview, and uh, he was kind of like, oh, yeah, it won't be a problem. But I don't think he understands. Like, this is the New York Commission. They almost didn't let Pearl Gonzalez fight because of her breast implants. They didn't let Jessica uh, Aguilar fight because she had chapped lips. If Kyle Stewart's 30 pounds overweight when he gets to New York, I have a feeling this fight might get scrapped. I just, I, I don't want to jinx it or anything, but I have, I have my concerns that if you remember, they wouldn't let Jesse Ronson fight in, in Toronto because of his, you know, him, him cutting too much weight. I could see New York because they're so strict going that way as well. I hope it happens. And if it does, I'm favoring Kyle Stewart. Uh, he's just, you know, he's incredible. 11 and one record only loss actually to James Nakashima, who I referenced earlier. They're actually training partners now at the lab, which is, which is interesting. So yeah, I'll pick Kyle Stewart in that fight, but hopefully there's no issues with the commission. Joe, as we wrap up this preview, you've covered Dennis Bermudez for quite a long time. He's lost four in a row. He is two and six in his last eight. If he loses here, is he gone? Yeah, I think he's done. I, I'm actually hoping he wins this fight only because you know there's that sentimental, uh, you know, value that I, you know, I spent some time with Dennis before. We had some good laughs uh, on the West Coast, but uh, you know, I hope he does emerge victorious. It's going to be difficult. Uh, I could say the same thing about Bilal Muhammad, but I think Jeff Neal does win that fight. And and just to counteract what James said uh, in terms of potential fight of the night. Man, I can't believe I'm not picking the Donald Cerrone fight. I can't believe I'm not picking the main event as the fight of the night. I will go with Gregor (laughs) Gillespie and Yancey Medeiros as the fight of the night. It's going to be crazy. Well, as we wrap up, it's time for I Got Five on it. Please, (laughs) my God, do not hold me responsible for your bank accounts. These are complete flyers that I think have some value. This is not me actually predicting that these people are going to win. But if you got five extra bucks just to waste... Maybe maybe you've given up smoking. There you go. Put five on it, my friends. I got five on Yancey Medeiros. I think plus 405 is a crazy line, considering what you mentioned earlier, James. There are a lot of questions about Gregor Gillespie. I like that prop that you mentioned as well. I would definitely uh, put five on Yancey Medeiros. I think that's almost one of the safer ones. You have Alan Crowder at plus 405 against Greg Hardy, the minus 510. That's just because of the nature of heavyweight fighters. When you get those heavyweights in there and they're throwing that leather, one guy can just go to sleep. And we, we've seen it dozens and dozens of times, upsets in that regard. I mean, even at light heavyweight, Houston Alexander was not a good fighter. But when he connected with people, they went to sleep. That's just the way it works. I've also got to put five on Joanne Calderwood. She's a plus 175 and Arion Lipsky is a minus 210. I don't doubt that Lipsky has the talent to win this fight, but I think Calderwood has more experience against higher-level people, like you mentioned, James, and I'm going with her. I think she's going to have a nice run 
at flyweight. I think it's where she should have been a long time ago. I think it's the vision should have happened a long time ago. And I think there's some good value there. Wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these actually win. I'm actually picking Calderwood and uh, the Gillespie thing. I'm going with him, but Medeiros, it's, it's like a 60-40 thing for me. It's potential versus unpredictability. Whoo, boy. UFC Brooklyn. Hopefully nothing catastrophic happens. Hopefully no dollies are thrown into buses this go around. <laughs> Hopefully, well, I mean, I don't know. It was good for traffic. Well, not, not yeah. traffic there, but traffic here at Fightful. And you guys are too. Leave us a thumbs up. Subscribe. We are on podcast platforms everywhere. James, what do you got going on this week? Uh, not a whole lot. I mentioned the uh, two exclusives I had yesterday with Batista, Mary Batista and Kyle Stewart, who will be making their debuts on short notice on Saturday. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Lynch on sports and guys subscribe to the fightful MMA and YouTube channel. We're so close to a thousand. We want to hit that mark uh, at least by the end of the month, but let, let's, you know, let, let's get that even, you know, by this weekend or something, let's get the word out there. We're doing a lot of good stuff over here. Um, and of course my interviews last week, if you missed them, Dan Lambert, Jake Hager, um who else colby covington yeah well there's a whole bunch of stuff last week so definitely uh, go check out on uh click that exclusives uh tab here on the channel and you'll see all those great interviews yo what do you got going on well other than coaching and trying to get revenge james uh over woodbridge who uh who brought down their their division one players to pay to play my division two players uh we got drubbed on saturday so big practice tonight other than that i have a lot of catching up to do on fightful especially with james's content uh, so come later tonight. Actually, I got to get the truck fixed, James. Uh, <laughs> after maybe tomorrow morning, uh, leading up until Saturday, Sean Ross Sapp, it'll be a lot of paying attention to what's going on on Fightful, especially with James's content. Because please don't spoil it. I haven't. I know the headlines are there for the Colby Covington interview, but that's the one I've been <laughs> waiting for for a long time. So I'll make sure my son is sleeping, James, before <laughs> I'll have my headphones on. But that's the one I've been paying close attention to and pay attention to. But. Uh, you know, on behalf of Fightful, man, you do a lot of work now. It reminds me of me back in the day uh, when I was just traveling the country. But, uh, God, you do a fantastic job when you got cold. You, and sir. I get to watch it a little bit later on. So thank you. Speaking of, guys, I've been looking for a video editor. Uh, if you all are familiar with some of these channels that are out now that put together clips uh, with a little bit of music over top of them covering the week's MMA news, I'm looking for somebody to do that with some Fightful content, with some of James's interviews, kind of put together a, a bit of a wrap-up and maybe some other stuff. So if you're well-versed in video editing and want to do that and want a little bit of work, hit me up. I am My DMs are open on Twitter. My email is listed on my Twitter. But thank you guys so much. We are growing. I'm looking forward to this weekend. Uh, I know we have a, a large discus community that is finally joining us for this weekend show, and I am very excited to have them. So uh, if you all are watching this and don't know what I'm talking about, drop over on Saturday. Make your predictions in our comments section. Uh, tweet out our stories. All that stuff really helps. We are an independent wrestling and MMA website really trying to uh, make our impression, and we're trying to do it the right way. But thank you guys so much. Until next time, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.